Wars All In is a community of fans for all things Star Wars. We want to share our fandom with you, and we'd love for you to share yours with us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Star Wars All In. Also, search on Facebook to join in the conversation with our private group. We would love to hear from you. out there in the galaxy it's time for another episode of star wars all in the show where we go all in on everything in the galaxy far far away one topic at a time my name is mac i'm one of your hosts on this journey and i'm joined by another jedi outcast my friend ross oh mac it's great to be back tonight we have a couple of really exciting topics that i'm super excited to get into we are going to talk all about some jedi who decide to Go live on their own. This is an episode of firsts for us. We're going to be trying out some different things. We have a comparing contrast. We're going to look at Luke and Yoda's individual exiles and kind of compare them, right? We are, yeah. We're going to really take a look at what caused them to go into exile, Mm -hmm. right? How did they behave while they were in exile? And then what ultimately brought them out? What brought them back? And what the effect of all that was. Yeah, absolutely. What is affected on the galaxy? I think it's going to be fun. Then we're going to talk about my first love in Star Wars, the (laughs) AT-AT, which I'm excited about because it's a big, uh, shall we say, nostalgia uh, piece for me when it relates to my love and, of Star Wars. And one of the most iconic pieces of the Empire Strike Back. Nothing is more yeah. Empire Strikes Back than the the elephant walker coming across. It was on the, snow. the VHS. Cover, it's on the Mac. VHS. Yeah, you're yeah. totally right. Right? It's that important. Okay. And then we have one of the most serene planets in all of Star Wars. Naboo. Yeah, and this is we're going to start uh, start building an atlas of the different yeah. planets by examining this one, which is a little overdue. I think we wanted to do this earlier, but here yeah, we are. Yeah, so we're going to touch all three trilogies. We're going to touch characters. We're going to touch weapons. We're going to yes. touch planets. We are going to go into all of it, and that is coming up right now. Heeded my words not, did you? Pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, hmm. but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. <laughs> Luke. We are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. Hello, Star Wars friends. Welcome back to Star Wars All In. We have 
an interesting topic, I think, here for this a first one. Compare and contrast. Yeah, Mac, we're going to talk about not only the concept of Jedi exile, but we're going to talk about two specific situations. Mm-hmm. We're going to compare Yoda's exile on Dagobah to Luke's exile on Octu. And, you know, discuss their reasons for being there, um, you know, why they want to be there. You know, they think it's the right thing, the wrong thing, you know, uh, our opinions on it and uh, talk about all of the things leading up to all of the reasons behind them leaving the universe behind. I think the best thing to do, let's just start framing it. Let's do this in three Let's do this as a three-act play. Okay. Let's discuss how did they end up in exile yep. and the conditions. Then we'll talk about what their exile was like. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, what the effect of their exile was on them in the universe. Okay. So let's so, start by um, just discussing. We'll go chronological. Yeah. We'll start with Yoda. Yeah, start with Yoda. Okay. So here's what we know. For a long time, you know, about 12 years Yoda's ability, the Jedi's ability to use the Force, had been dimish, diminishing. Yes. The Sith are coming back. Uh, Mace and Yoda have the conversation. You know, things aren't great. <laughs> we're not We're not having a good time here. The dark here. side clouds everything. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're going as far as saying our ability to use the Force ha- has diminished. You know, we, we are not what we once were. And that's something I want to talk about another time. Yeah. But having said that, you know, it, it all comes to culmination when... Order 66 comes to pass. Yep. Yoda is on Kashyyyk. He yep. feels the repercussions of it throughout the galaxy. Because he's such a powerful force yeah. user, I think he gets an early warning system just because the deaths of his fellow Jedi are just so much easier <laughs> for him to perceive than even they. They're not becoming aware of things before they can stop anything, you know. Um, but after like Ayla Sakura and you know, Mundi yeah. are being blasted away, we just see like the almost visible heart attack Yoda's having sensing this. Yeah, it's, it's you know, a, a callback to Obi-Wan in episode four yep. in Alderaan, right? That was the first time we saw that same sort of force connection, power, whatever it's you want to call it, right? Of, tens of thousands of Jedi were being stabbed in the back and then were suddenly silenced. <laughs> And those clones made sure of it. So yeah. Yoda uh, attempts to take down Palpatine. He he teams up with Obi-Wan and he says, you have to destroy Vader. I'm going after the Emperor. You're not powerful enough. And for the first time, we really get to see the peak of Yoda's ability. I mean, I don't think at there's any point, other way to take it, right? Uh, yeah, at that point. Yeah. Um, and again, going into the lion's den, the most dark side and at this point, Palpatine has gone all through Order 66, and he is the Emperor, and he is enjoying reveling yeah. in this Yeah, we just had the Senate scene. Yeah. This multi-decade plan is finally paying off. He's kind of, if you will, thrown off his mask, and his inner wickedness and his sadistic glee is just flowing through him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is one thing I think people tend to forget about Palpatine. He's cold and calculating, but... At the end of the day, he's just pure evil. His <laughs> intentions are nothing but pure evil. And obviously that's what Yoda is there to stop. So they right. have their fight in his office that takes its place into the Senate chamber. And then eventually, I guess you could say Yoda is bested by Palpatine. 
Yeah, in that battle, it basically comes down to Yoda goes in with complete confidence. He's got this. I mean, he walks into that room underneath, you know, the the um, the the I guess the chancellor's office that's mm-hmm. below the Senate, and he's just like, "Your reign is already over." <laughs> like he's like, yep. "I got this," <laughs> and, and he makes quick work of the Imperial Guards, and then very quick work. a little <laughs> a little force lightning and. You know, Yoda's down for a minute, not not playing, you know, as I maybe originally took it when I first saw it, you know, when I was much younger and, uh, you know, first time seeing it. But it's it's a pretty epic battle. I mean, Yoda does a good job and there are some circumstances, you know, the environment. He's not able to keep up his small stature, you know, whereas Palpatine's able to hang on to that pod and stay up in the air. But, you know, Yoda essentially fails now, this is the first thing I want to talk about here. I mean, okay. he, you know, couldn't he have just jumped back up there? I mean, why just because he fell out of the I, pod is that his failure? In my opinion, the thing I see that is going on there is whereas Yoda is getting fatigued and mm-hmm. Yoda is like catching the Senate thing and thrusting it like you can see the effort, the sweat equity he is spending to make all his movements happen. Meanwhile, the Emperor is just cackling like a maniac and just like even the times where he's losing, taking it in this like manic surprise of like, that's all you've got. This mm-hmm. is you. Oh, you almost hit me. Oh, look at me. I'm so scared. Like, I think you can feel the force has already determined that battle by like the first few blows that while Yoda came in here with complete confidence, the force was not with him. So essentially you're saying Yoda knows that he cannot win, that it's an unwinnable battle. Yeah. And I think he basically gives up where he's like, if I keep fighting this battle, not only will I lose the battle, which is already gone, but I will die. Yeah. And all my knowledge will die with me. I will just be on the mass grave of the Jedi that was formed today. So after Yoda meets back up with Obi-Wan, after Obi-Wan defeats Vader mm-hmm. on Mustafar, he basically decides for Obi-Wan that we're going into exile now. Yes. That's basically what happens. He said, we're the last two Jedi. We need to protect the, the force. Secrets. We need to protect we our to- knowledge. So Yoda goes to Dagobah and he sends Obi-Wan to Tatooine to watch over Luke. So we're not going to talk about what Obi-Wan does after that because well, we're about Obi-Wan to Obi-Wan has his own exile, but it's not yeah. nearly as what we're going to talk about tonight because Yoda's well, is much more of a penitent. He is not got a mission. Obi-Wan and, has a mission. He's and that's going to protect typically the kids. what an exile is. I mean, an exile is typically right. a punishment. It's, right. you know, not traditionally a self-imposed thing in mythology it's generally a crime other than death i mean if normally you that's choose the option. It, we call it moving away if you don't choose it we call it exile <laughs> yeah where obi-wan didn't fail he was successful in his right. mission i mean you know for the purpose and of he this got a argument. new mission yeah. his isn't nearly his is only an exile in the sense that no one can know who he is or he might yeah. die but he's really just on his next mission yes so yoda decides that because he has failed he needs to go into exile. Right. And until Luke comes to find him, that's, that's what... pretty much. There's not a whole lot of Yoda in canon in between. He talks to Ezra a little bit in Rebels, right? If my memory serves. He seems that he is not becoming totally disconnected from the Force. It seems like he must spend his exile, and we'll get into that a little bit, but he seems to spend that exile like mm-hmm. focusing inward, not outward. 
And since it's the Force, in is out. (laughs) At least on the cosmic level. So we'll compare and contrast that to Luke. So Luke's, if you will, ace act one here is how did Luke end up in exile? Now, this is a little murkier because whereas Yoda, we literally see the event that causes him and he literally, we see him go to Dagobah in exile. Right. Luke's a little fuzzier here because we know from bits and pieces told yeah. over the sequel trilogy exactly how it happens. In Force Awakens, it's mostly implied that after his um, star pupil, Ben, betrays him, mm-hmm. um, he completely had a crisis of faith. Yes. He felt 100% responsible for it. And as Han Solo says, he walked away from everything. Yes. And then that gets nuanced uh, when we see The Last Jedi, where we get a little bit more of a clear picture of what might have happened. Yes. So we know that while Yoda is in exile Mm -hmm. for 22-ish years, 21-ish years, give or take. Yeah. Right? you have 19. 19 plus 3-ish. Yeah, 3-ish. Yeah, 3-ish. Hopefully, I think some of these Marvel comics might try and pin that down down a little little more but yeah so we'll say 21 ish years right um 21 to 22 luke is only in exile for less than six years because we know at the end of bloodline him and kylo are still together sorry him and ben are still together yep right and we know that was six years before the force awakens so at worst case scenario he's on octu for five to six years in yeah in total exile yep because right. we so, know that probably somewhere between probably six and four years before Force Awakens is when yeah. the the Kylo Ren disaster occurs. Yeah. So I just think that that little difference is important to point out right off the bat here. Sure. Okay. So Luke takes a dozen students plus Ben mm-hmm. and begins a training temple. Yes. Now, I do have some lines from The Last Jedi, and I have always been a believer that the thing that's important is what is said in Star Wars. Okay. You know, obviously we have all the supplemental material, but what is said in the movies is what, you know, things have been based on. You know, we have one line that becomes a whole Rogue One movie. You know, we have all of these hints about Han and they become all of these plot points in Solo. Uh, You know, we have all of these things, all of these clues to where things are going, and I think it all comes in the character's dialogue. So with Luke specifically, I think there are a couple of things worth pointing out so a lot of luke's history is given to us through exposition to ray yes right during the lessons i'm gonna say you know lesson two really is where it starts lesson one to ray luke is talking about how you know that power it it doesn't belong to the jedi it doesn't belong he's to explaining anyone. the nature of the force as he now understands it. yes what he has come to understand which it's not necessarily different than what yoda taught him it's just his own way of understanding that the Force does not need manipulated. It will survive the Jedi, the Sith, the war. The Force will exist no matter what. Right. So, in Lesson 2, as Luke calls it, so he says, and I and I quote here, uh, albeit loosely, because I did transcribe this without subtitles. I just kind of did it based on my <laughs> you're, ear. You're fine. Sure. You're fine. Uh, now that they're extinct, the Jedi are romanticized, deified. Strip away the myth. Look at the deeds. You have hubris, hubris, hypocrisy, failure. Basically, Luke is saying that based on what he has learned about the Jedi's and their the Jedi and their failure, 
Yeah. Right? Which we've seen. Like, we know that is well, true. That is not just Luke guessing. And, and in that sequence, he says things that are well-informed that give us the opinion that at some point, for lack of a better term, he saw the prequels. <laughs> like, he knows those events from some form of first or second-hand account. Well, and think about it. You know, we've seen Luke in other pieces of canon now, in the Marvel comics, in uh, that got the mission in Battlefront 2. He is of, seeking yeah. this stuff out. So he knows the history. I mean, it's definitely safe to assume. Not only does he say it, but we've seen him seeking it out, right? Right. And so Ray says, but you turned Darth Vader, the most evil man in the galaxy. You know, he talks about how... Ben Kenobi was the one who trained Vader and was responsible for him. You know, it was a Jedi's fault that this person turned. And Ray goes, well, no, but, you know, you saw good in him. And, I mean, obviously that's a fair argument because it's true. Now, I do want to point out that is, I don't know how Ray knows that because really not a whole lot of people know that. Well, um, I would argue, so the book we already mentioned, Bloodlines, is sort of set yeah. in the... Um, the uh, it's one of the few books that takes place in that era so far. That kind of frames up what the world was like immediately before or close to the beginning of Force Awakens. Yeah. And I would argue one thing about that book is, um, without spoiling it, a lot of information about Vader becomes very publicly aware and very, very politically important. (laughs) That's all true. So what I'm trying to say is that story... And Luke and Leia's opinion on how that story played out and the idea that Luke saved his father probably got spoken about at the galactic stage, if nothing else, within a couple of years before The Force Awakens. Oh, I fully believe that. So but for me, how did Ray hear it on Jakku? Well, that that's all I'm saying. It just seems like an odd for the same reason that if you live in the United States, you know, it's President Trump is the president at the moment. Regardless of your opinion or how connected or disconnected with you are, certain facts are going to flow towards you. Sure, sure, and and I mean, don't be wrong. It's it's all fine. I'm not. It's not really no, a no, criticism. No, no, no. It's but just, I think the point is, yeah, just curious. I think that's a public piece, and I think the nice thing about that is we get the idea that Luke doesn't give himself any credit for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He's like. You saved your father, the most dangerous and worst person in the galaxy. He's like, "Ah, I mean, yeah, but anyone could have. Well, at the the time, right? I mean, he was idealistic. He was he wasn't really a Jedi yet. And I think that's what they're sort of going for here is that Mm. when Luke did those things, he was acting against what the Jedi wanted. Yes. Right. Yoda didn't want him to go. He didn't want him him to kill Vader to learn that truth. Yeah. And so. Who Luke becomes, I mean, I'm going to say this once now, so I feel like I want to say it again. You are a different person at 22 and 52. Like, you will change. You will be a different person. You should be. Well, yeah. (laughs) Right? The the person Luke was, I mean, experience life, it changes you. Well, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's just keep finish framing. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Well, I'm saying, like, we're starting to go into, and it's fine. We'll start with Luke of, like, the the act two of this is what did that um exile look like right. for him and and so here and here's some more some more lines from the film okay so you know ray is going to you saw the good invader and, and you turned him and he said yes and and i became a legend for it right mm-hmm. you know I, I became this thing i became bigger than the person i was you know, i was a jedi i was a legend i was luke skywalker and you know, for many years, he had brought balance to the force per Luke himself. 
now you know yeah. still a lot more to say there i think but and and then i saw ben with that mighty skywalker blood that's an interesting one yeah right i thought i could train him i thought i could pass on my strengths right and here you have luke saying i believed in myself and I was wrong. And I was wrong. Yeah, exactly. I thought I was better than the Jedi that had come before me. I thought I had learned from them. And I thought they and their teachings would be enough. Yeah. And then here's the part that I think really makes it hit home. I, you know, I think this is one of my, this whole sequence, Luke talking to Ray here, lesson two, I, I think is one of my favorite things in all of Star Wars. There's so much great acting coming from Mark Hamill, and it's giving us so much of what I think a lot of us wanted was, who is Luke now? Who is this character? Well, and also, and all of that is coming in this 30-second scene. And it's fantastic to have a character in Star Wars commenting on the things that we're thinking about. Like, yeah. he is commenting on the events of the last two trilogies in a very frank way that is yeah. exciting. It is, right? So he goes, Leia, you know, he got Han was Han about it, but... Leia, she trusted me with her son. And he's not saying this, but, you know, he let her down. He let his nephew down. Mm -hmm. He let his family down. And, you know, by the time he realized that he was no match for the darkness rising in Ben, it, it was too late for him. It was too late for him to bring him back, just like the way it was too late for Obi-Wan to save Anakin. Yes. And you needed you need something else. Luke's love saves Vader. And so we'll see what happens with Ben. But and he went to confront him. Right. And this is where things really come to a head, of course. Right. So, you know, Leia blames Snoke. But Luke was the one who, you know, he blames himself. He failed because he was Luke Skywalker, a Jedi master, a legend. Yeah. Right. By becoming something bigger than what he was, he didn't he failed i mean that's what and it comes so, down to right he failed he failed himself and to glue some of that together so from from my interpretation of all this like when he's talking in lesson two he's giving sort of his account of why he's out here why is he in octu why is yeah. he by himself why are these ideas he's telling to ray probably the first time he's ever told anyone this He's probably written about it. He's probably thought about it. He's probably meditated on yeah. it, but he's never shared this with anyone because we get the impression that like in the flashbacks, which are unreliable because we get Luke's vision of it right. and we get Kylo's vision of it. And we, as the audience have to kind of decide where one begins and the other ends because right. we get sort of the truth, which is Luke being more honest, but like how close was Luke to hitting, you know, Ben, right. how, how, you know, cause from Kylo, he feels he's immediately going to be killed when Luke raises his lightsaber to him because Luke, for one horrible instant, sees the darkness rising in his nephew and goes, I can stop it right now. I saw darkness. I'd sensed it building in him. I'd seen it in moments during his training. Then I looked inside and it was beyond anything I'd ever imagined. Snoke had already turned his heart. He would bring destruction and pain and death and the end of everything I love because of what he would become. And for the briefest moment of pure instinct, I thought I could stop it. It passed like a fleeting shadow, and I was left with shame and consequence. And the last thing I saw were the eyes of a frightened boy whose master had failed him. And then that boy grabs his lightsaber out of his own self-defense instincts, fights off his master, and his master betraying him causes him to fully embrace and become the thing Luke was seeing in him. Right. And he takes the students, slaughters the ones who won't follow him, 
takes yeah. whatever's left and goes marching yeah. to the Snoke's door to become Kylo Ren. Yeah. And so this is the moment. This is Yoda's, I can't use the Force anymore. I let the entire Jedi Order fail. This is that moment for Luke. It's the same thing. Luke's entire order failed, was yep. killed. He went through the same exact thing Yoda did. And to a certain extent, you know, you can say, yes, Yoda was res responsible, might not be the well, right word. But, you know, Yoda had thousands of Jedi die under his watch. Yes, Luke only lost, you know, a dozen at most. And I mean, we know it's less than that, but... That's not the point. <laughs> the point is how it is affecting the character as a person, as a as a entity that changes and learns and grows and also gets hurt from experience. And I think we so what we're talking about there is they spend their exile responding to the same stimulus of complete and abject failure yes. that all their training, all their teachings, all their wisdom basically was for naught. In the case of Yoda, it costs the galaxy its freedom and the destruction yes. of every single person Yoda yes. basically knows. Yes. For Luke, it's the same trauma as far as the impact, but it's on a less galactic scale. He loses all of the students, the students that trusted him to rebuild this order. He failed all the generations of like, you know, Obi-Wan and Yoda who trusted him to carry forward the torch of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And he betrayed his family getting his nephew to run off to become an evil monster and to lose for his sister, the, yeah. her only son. Yes. And their responses to this is what really makes them different. They both decide to go into exile. They both think that their influence needs to be removed from the galaxy. But for different reasons. For totally different reasons and totally different and tonally different interpretations. Because okay. from my perspective... Luke is running away. Luke is, I caused this. This is my fault. If I stick around and try to fix it, I'm just going to screw it up more. The best thing I can do is leave better hands to deal with this. The way I see it is Luke exiling, exiling himself Self. to die. I mean, that is his plan. He is planning on dying there. Yes. Right is what he believes in what we would call the greater good, right? Yes. It is still a heroic moment for Luke to exile himself. He is moving himself off the chessboard. Right. No one forced him to. No yeah. one, Leia didn't say, leave and never come back. Right. Right. It was Luke saying the Jedi are the part of the problem. With the Jedi around, evil will fight back. It needs to end. The only, yeah, the only way to achieve balance is to remove myself from the equation. Yeah. And if there is no light to meet Kylo Ren, perhaps Kylo Ren's darkness will never expand to its full flower. Yeah. Now, the thing about this is, I think there's one thing we can imply, and this is weird interpretation here. Right. But I think one thing you can imply is Luke basically goes and after all the burning of his temple and he takes in the full weight of that. Luke goes to his X-Wing, flies back to Le Le Leia, and I feel doesn't even get a chance to tell her. Puts a hologram message in R2-D2, marches R2-D2 in there, gets another droid, and goes to Octu. I mean, I assume we don't have anything to the contrary. Because no one knows about the map to Luke Skywalker that's inside R2, not even the Solos. Yeah. And I feel that Luke 
the way he talks about it could never face Leia. That it does seem that way, Again, right? That I'm when talking they about interpretation meet in implied. crate, that it does feel like a reconnection. Right. And I think with that, that's where we have where Luke is bottled up with his own shame. He's mm-hmm. not even going to give his chance of friends to f- chance for his friends to talk him out of this decision. Yeah. He already knows right. this has to happen. Whereas Once again, the greater the context in which Yoda Yoda's sitting next to Bail Organa saying like, hey, we got to start wrapping this. St- I got to go into exile. We got to we got to go stop Anakin. I'm going to stick Obi-Wan on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I need you to get to us a place where we can meet up afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that conference room um, on uh, I'm not going to remember the name of the planet, but the asteroid Polis con- Massa. Polis Massa. Yeah. You kind of see the fact of like, okay, well, we got the immediate threat done. Anakin's out of the picture. So, um, Bale, can you take a kid? Obi-Wan, you take a kid. What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm going to go away forever now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, why? Well, until the time is right. And that's Yoda. the difference is he, yeah. he has this spark of hope. Yeah. He doesn't. I think he goes to dig up to die. But I think he thinks that's part of the plan, that there is a reason for him to go and meditate on the Force. I don't think Yoda goes to Dagobah going, yeah, in about 19 years, the boy you're taking, Obi-Wan, he'll be ready to meet me. Send him my way, especially if he's like dying on a frozen planet, appear as a ghost to him and say, come to me. (laughs) Like, I think he thinks he's this whole tragedy that has crushed him personally is still part of the will of the force mm-hmm. that there is a balance that this great darkness will have a reckoning yes and he has a belief and a hope in that and i feel that you can really feel that way if you watch the end of clone wars season six where oda yoda goes on like an odyssey <laughs> like experiencing all the dimensions of the force which i yeah. think gives him the big picture that allows him to accept this or be ready for this Whereas Luke is leaving because he's not ready for the responsibility of seeing the holistic picture of that. Yes, Kylo Ren is becoming evil. There might not be anything you can do about that, but that's his destiny. Yes. And you can't stop that. And it's okay. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that Yoda went with the same purpose Luke did. Yes. He can, to do what was right for the galaxy, to follow the will of the force. They just had different interpretations. And then ultimately, we see that Luke effectively ends Yoda's exile. Right? Yep. I mean, he doesn't leave the planet, but he's able to complete his destiny and join the force. The reasons right? that he was here on Dagobah are fulfilled. Right. The will right. of the force presents why he was sent here. Right. And then Yoda does the same thing for Luke. Yep. Right. Yoda helps Luke fulfill his final act, his final goal of passing on what he had learned. Yes. Right. And that comes back to paying attention to the dialogue. Luke has the moment, that final lesson with Yoda of I was unwise. I made mistakes. I failed. I am a failure. And Yoda very clearly tells him, yes, that is the point. That is how you learn. I grew in the force that way. Obi-Wan grew in the force that way. And so too have you. And at the end of The Last Jedi, Luke is the most powerful Jedi we have ever seen. Yes. In film, in Star Wars film. He yes. does things and he has he he takes actions that are far beyond anything we've seen. Well, right. We, we see and, a Skywalker undiminished by, you know, 
mechanical right. things ripping him apart right. and him having the age and distance to right. learn all the mysteries of the force. Right. Now we do have to assume, I think that Luke knew how to do force projection. Well, we know he did before he got docked to, because he hadn't been with in touch with the force, presumably during most of his stay he knew on the technique. Right. Exactly. So it's not that necessarily exile made these Jedi more powerful. Yeah. But it did in some way influence them, as you're saying, part of their destiny, if you want to look at it that way, part of the will of the force, if you want to look at it that way. And wait, and real quick, before we talk yeah. about total effect, you just mentioned anything that is worth noting is Yoda never cuts himself off from the force. Yes. He embraces even the dark side because, I mean, we have the tree. We have this environment of Dagobah that is definitely dark side, mm -hmm. you know, uh, tinged, which he embraces the fact that that is necessary. Right. Um, and he talks to Ezra and he reaches out and he knows uh, the movements of some things like he's hoping for, you know, to make some sort of connection with Leia along yes, the road. Yes. Um, we, we know that he is not... He is, he is embracing the living force while he's in that, where Luke has literally just tried to turn the knob down to zero as much as he can. Yes, he's he's tried to force it out. And it is not until Ray yeah. comes, just like, you know, Luke went to Yoda, that he reconnects. Yeah. Right? It's, it's after the moment. Uh, she leaves and, the planet. He returns to the rock and reconnects. And I love that their exiles end in pretty much the exact same way. A young idealistic person challenges the viewpoints that they have mm -hmm. and reminds them that it's not going to go exactly the way they thought it was going to, but yeah. it's what the, the will of the force, what right. the universe needs. Like, you know, a lot of people thought it was very dismissive in Last Jedi where Luke just throws the lightsaber above him. I'm like, but is that any less, you know... Is that really any less dignity than Yoda, like, like hitting R2-D2 on the top with his cane, saying, like, how do you get so big on food of this kind? Like, it's not. It's not. It's He's, not. And, and the thing about it is, I think people get the idea that, like, oh, well, Yoda's just putting on an act. That's why it's okay for him to be this weird curmudgeon creature at the beginning. I'm like... <laughs> Well, Luke's putting on an act two. He's like, I'm not going back to the laser sword. I already know that this is the right call. So what do I need to tell you? What do I need to perform? How dismissive of you, girl, do I need to be for you to get back on that ship and get away from me? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. the same thing. They are both trying to stop destiny from pulling them back in. And Yoda's is more profoundly explained when... You see that after a whole act, he's like, I was just testing the boy. And you know what? He's not ready. We can't do this. For 800 years of trained Jedi, this kid can't hack it. Yeah. yeah. And to a certain extent, he's right. Right? I mean, he doesn't. Yeah. Luke doesn't listen to him. Luke runs off, uh, you know, worried Always about him taking the, the next horizon. <laughs> yeah. Always looking to the horizon. Uh, and, you know, it's just so interesting to see people so confused by the Luke exile when it's something we've essentially seen before. I think it's just the fact that a lot of people love the escapism of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And I think it hits a little hard and and home for, you know, if you're in your you know, late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, understanding that your heroes... That's a wide range. Well... No, but I'm, I'm saying no, anyone who's it. reached like full adulthood and has started losing that idealism we mm -hmm. have in youth, it's hard and saddening to know that our heroes, our fantasy characters mm -hmm. still can't escape the gravity of adulthood just like we didn't. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for younger kids, he's Obi-Wan. Right. He's a man who's, you know, he's old and he's always been this yeah. way. Right. Yeah. They don't see, they don't. I think the people that have the problem with Luke in that way are just the whole, are the more hopeful people who are like that. He shouldn't feel like he screwed up because he's a hero. He did this. He did that. I saw him right. do that. And, and while I, as an adult feel bad or feel worn down, you know, I love my family, but the obligations I have to them have worn me down and made me a different person mm-hmm. than that idealistic youth. We kind of want to wish that he is that idealistic youth running off, saving the galaxy well into his fifties. Mm-hmm. And the reality of that, I think is very sympathetic. I think yeah. we all can feel that if you've, if you've again lost any of your innocence growing up, but it's also tragic because he ends up the same way Obi-Wan did, did is he's a broken old man who can only fulfill his destiny and ride out his years on the hope of completing something that's important. Yes. And we don't see Obi-Wan that way, but that's exactly what he is. Yes. You know, Obi-Wan has this one mission. I'm supposed to get this kid to be safe from safe from the emperor. That's my mission. I'm going to be on Tatooine for the rest of my days, making sure that happens. It's not exactly a rosy, wonderful thing. It's not how I planned my retirement, but that's the what that's the destiny that I have. And and Luke is in the same vein. Luke's like, I plan to come out here and die. That's my plan. Well, you got to go back and, and fulfill your destiny because you have been ignoring it. And I think a lot of fans are like, yeah, he would have never ignored it. And I think they ignore the fact that we already know that in the Force Awakens trailer, yeah. we established that Luke walked away from the galaxy. Yeah. He's no longer a player in the universe. Yeah. There is no way that character would be like, well, I was just here biding my time. I have the secret super lightsaber that will defeat the entire universe. But I didn't want to tell anyone. It's too powerful. Like, there isn't some grand magical reason why he was disappeared. He's disappeared for the same reason that everyone withdraws from life, which is a very human tragedy. Right. And same thing with Yoda. Yoda isn't there because, like, he has a more optimistic, hopeful view of, like, he's there to meditate on the Force and figure out why this happened. Yeah. But he doesn't, he's there because every single friend and resource he ever had has been blown away by the Emperor. And he knows the futility Mm -hmm. of revenge because he just tried to get it and couldn't. Yes. Yes. I agree. I think it's a very interesting position because what's cool about it is the effect is the same. Mm -hmm. That stewing and chewing on all those facts at one level made them very hardened into their positions. Yoda believes that the Jedi were betrayed and that if the cloud of the dark side wasn't there, they would have triumphed. Yes. And he looks at Luke and says, you need to be like us because it wasn't us that failed. It was the universe. It was our power. It was the the force didn't betray us, but the force wasn't our ally because of something we missed. Yes. Not realizing that it was just the cosmic balance of things. And when he tells like Luke and kind of understands in his heart that like, I'm going to tell you you need to kill Vader, but somewhere I know you won't. Somehow I know that's not where this is going to go, but my vision is too limited to see what that other world is going to be. I am too much a man who has hunted Sith his entire life and thinks that killing the dark side is the only way to solve the problem. 
And Obi-Wan's more open-minded. He realizes that, oh no, Luke, you're, you're, you got to understand why we think Vader's such a bad person. Why I say that he betrayed your father, like why I see it that way Mm -hmm. and why if I see it that way and I knew him, why Yoda can't even begin to humanize Vader. (laughs) And Luke has to have the same thing happen to him. He needs those preconceived notions of like, I screwed up. If I hadn't opened an Academy, if I would have let the Jedi die, the dark side would have never risen again. Ignoring the fact that, Snoke was already a player in the galaxy by the time he met Ben. That darkness was going to rise, whether it was Ben Solo or somebody else. And Luke can't see that until Ray pushes him of like, you are the only person in the entire galaxy who should be on a shadow of a doubt. Understand that when you go to the dark side, You don't go all the way. There's always a path back. There's always a way to redeem yourself. Right. And Luke can't see that in himself. And Ray forces him to see that. Anyone can be saved. Mm -hmm. It just takes the right person. Right. Right. A good action to you can still have negative effects on other people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you are hurt so much by what's happened to you, that you can only do what you think is right. Right. You can't take into account what other people are telling you. You can't have your opinion swayed because you have had an experience that just locks you into that mindset Mm -hmm. and grabs hold of you. And no matter what you do and what you try and do, you can't get out of it. You can't escape. Right. And whether you want to call it depression or anxiety or fear or uh, fear of failure you know however you want to classify what yoda and what luke went through yeah it changed their person it changed their character it changed who they were it prepared them for ill or good to be what they needed to be for the universe to keep going yes and i think the best piece of closure is when those two characters get to interact at the end Because I feel when Yoda's talking about failure, I think he's talking about in death. He really understood what he had really screwed up because he didn't pass on to Luke that. He said, Luke, you still got to be a Jedi. You got to be the last of the Jedi and you got to go kill your father and defeat the Emperor. That's the only way this gets, Mm -hmm. gets solved. And in the afterlife, Yoda has seen that Luke had another way that Yoda didn't have the vision for. Because Yoda was still rigid in the trying to win the Clone Wars after all these years. And I feel Yoda is expressing the fact of like, see, I've missed you, Skywalker. You've challenged me. You made me angry. You made me see the world in a different way that I wasn't ready for. Mm -hmm. And I tried to dismiss that. And I shouldn't have. And I didn't pass that on to you. And you need to pass that on to Rey. Because that, if anything, was the failure of the Jedi. If anything, that was our hubris. If anything, that was our, our ultimate, you know problem was the fact that we were so set up to be the good guys we kind of forgot to remind people of how we became the good guys and i think it's really important that that's where luke's like realizes i need to go save the universe but it's not getting my x-wing and it's not flying there it is causing the distraction so that that girl has the chance to fulfill her destiny yeah let the force work. Yep. Let the force guide everything. And 
I personally think that we are going to see a movie coming out here soon that really takes into account what the Force wants and what the Force has willed into existence. And if nothing it's else, exciting. I'm hoping Rise of Skywalker pays it off because I think the one big thematic thing that you do have in all nine movies is people dealing with forces that are vastly, you know, vastly above their ability to affect them. You know, yeah. I think the force primarily is a metaphor for all the things in our life we don't have a control over, but we want to believe has some sense to it. So, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, I think that exile will always be an interesting concept for mm-hmm. Jedi because it's something we've seen all of our heroes go through now. Yeah. We've seen them triumph. We've seen them fail. We've seen them change and grow and turn into something more interesting along the way, I think. I think every, one, every single one of every character in anything, Star Wars aside, is more interesting when they failed, when they've had to overcome some obstacle. Every story, no matter what, has a character overcoming something. And yet it doesn't always just happen once in your life. Yeah. Just because Luke was able to save his father from the dark side through his love by casting aside his lightsaber, right? He didn't mm-hmm. necessarily... I won't fight you. Yeah. He, he was able to use that love to bring someone back from the dark side. Yep. Right? And it makes it that much better yeah. when someone can help save Luke, too. Yeah. These are it's good great. movies. I like these movies. These are Do you? good movies. I'm, I, I think they're pretty good, yeah. Yeah. All of them. You give me The Last Jedi. You give me Revenge of the Sith. You give me A New Hope. You give me Caravan of Courage. You give me The Clone Wars. I'll, I'll watch any of it. I, even the 2008 Star Wars Clone Wars movie is got... <sighs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a movie, and it's fine. It's Star Wars, and I like it. I, <laughs> me too. Hey, it has a lot of awesome things in it. And, and that's, and and you know what it also does? (laughs) It helps humanize Anakin. And I think that's what the supplementary material, the stuff outside the movies, the movies are the tent pole that we drape the temp tent over. But I think it's great to see. We just compared and contrast mostly movie stuff, but I like to think that we're forming these opinions and talking about them because all the supplementary material just helps us Mm -hmm. mold this. And I think if this conversation has proven anything, it is, there is always more lessons to learn from Star Wars because Star Wars is built on the mythologies that humans have been talking about since time immemorial. And these are just our Greek myths to turn over and kind of learn about our life and our world and the things that are bigger than us. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just, it's powerful stuff. <laughs> and these stories are most certainly bigger than us. So let's move on to our next topic and talk about something else quite big. Station 3TA. We have spotted Imperial Marker.
Yes, Lord Vader. I've reached the main power generators. The shield will be down in moments. You may start your landing. Rogue three. Copy, Rogue leader. Wedge, I've lost my gunner. You'll have to take this shot. I'll cover for you. Set your harpoon. Follow me on the next pass. Coming around, Rogue leader. Steady, Rogue two. All right, my friends. We have an announcement. Out on the South Ridge, <gasps> Imperial troops have landed. Uh-oh. And they brought walkers. And I'm not talking about the little ones, not the little chickens. <laughs> they bought the big ones, the big Corellian ones. They brought all-terrain armored transports, known as, depending on who you ask, AT-ATs or AT-ATs. I'm glad you got that that right there. I would have messed that up. All-terrain armored transport. All-terrain armored transports. I, I definitely would have messed that up if I had tried to read that, even off of my notes. Oh, really? Uh, I mean, I know what it's called, but that's just one that, you know, I, you mess up. Okay. No matter how many times you try. I can understand that. So, that's cool. Mac, I have some really great memories of the AT-ATs. Uh, I think I've said before, the first Star Wars movie I ever saw was Empire Strikes Back. And, right. you know, uh, the idea of these giant robotic terrifying things coming across across these tiny little human rebels who just have trenches and yeah you can they're ready for world war ii and here comes like you know the giant mecca across the <laughs> battlefield it's like well we know who's going to win and, and that first that first instance of seeing them you know you you hear the sounds you have the the rebel trooper looking through his his uh, what do they Electro call them binoculars. Star Wars? Yeah, sure. Or uh, macro binoculars, depending on who you ask. So you know, he looks out across the field and, and he sees them coming. And as the speeders come in and they start shooting, and the speeders are flying around them in and out of their legs and trying to figure out how to take them down, and you plink, realize plink, very plink, quickly plink. that these things are i mean they seem unbeatable they're just such an interesting concept because well they're not slow i mean they move very quickly because they're taking such large steps yes. but they're most certainly they're covering not, a lot of ground fast. yeah they're they're not necessarily you know uh, a quick thing but they're they're terrifying because they're just coming towards you and there's nothing you can do to stop them i mean one is enough of a trouble you know maybe if you get lucky with a tow cable but I, I but mean, there's like a squad of, I think yeah. there's three at the Battle of Hoth. I mean, that's what that it looks like right? on film. I'm I don't know sure canonically if it's different in a book or something, but I, yeah, on it's film, I, I think, think a squad, I think the squad they show is, I think there are three elephant walkers, if you will, mm -hmm. AT-ATs or, or ATATs. Yeah. Again, I'll take either one. I tend to say AT-AT because you don't say ATST yeah. when you say ATST, which yeah. are the scout walkers, yeah. the chicken walkers. And I, like I said, I think it's um, there are about like three of the AT-ATs and maybe a squad of four, maybe only two or three seen of the AT-STs. And Which, that's enough. <laughs> that is enough. <laughs> I mean, that is all they need. What What is that? Veers? Who General Veers. Maximilian Veers. Veers is the one piloting, right? Right. Uh, or commanding, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it. But I mean, he's definitely twisting some of those knobs in the head oh he's bringing the down that periscope yeah. and saying 
Oh, there's the shield, gentlemen. You better tell Lord Vader he may begin his landing. <laughs> we we have this in the bag. <laughs> oh, I love that. He's like he hasn't even fired the shot. He's just like, we got this. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, they, they got they like can't what, overcome cute... an obstacle like this twice. <laughs> They've got like what two turrets, a whole bunch of guys in a trench, and is that, and is that a satellite dish they're aiming at us? <laughs> And look at that shield generator. It's unprotected. I'm just going to blow it up. <laughs> Literally nothing is stopped. Why don't they have a shield? It's like a propane generator. tank. I just need to pierce it and it'll blow the rest up itself. That's exactly it. Now, Mac, you are the vehicle guy here at Star Wars All In. I like to consider myself a technologist of Star Wars. So the only thing I was really curious about the ATAT was how tall they are. And from what I found, 22 meters. 22 meters, Does which that is sound like about 60, right? 60 to 70 feet, depending yeah, on how so, close it is. You know, you get a harpoon gun, you shoot right up there, you toss it in a grenade and drop down into the snow and you're good to well, go. You figure that, that high up. You figure that the bulk of them. Now, this is one of those weird things in Star Wars. It's changed. Um, they actually, I saw in a documentary recently, they were talking about how there's a part where you go into an AT-AT in the upcoming Fallen Order video game. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about like, there isn't really a canon answer for what's inside because it's changed depending on video games or blueprints or mm. what, because obviously the model makers didn't make the interiors <laughs> of them. And the only interior shots we see are in the head, are in the command unit. Right, 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 right. Um, so depending on what's in there, like it, it generally looks like it's basically a floor and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's probably about 15 to 20 feet of interior space, which mm-hmm. leaves you with about 35 to 40 feet of all leg. So when Luke, like, is grappling hook up there, like, if he falls, he'll probably die. <laughs> like, he's he's going to be dropping from a two-story building. I mean, into snow. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, I did have it's a friend hard... in college jump out of our third-story dorm window into a pile of snow. The point of the matter is, well, Luke got it's lucky. dangerous. Luke is got what I'm lucky. Tra- yeah. Well, he's got the force on his side. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so we have the AT-ATs on Hoth. Yes. What else should we know about them? Well, so in canon, the AT-ATs, I'm just going to give some broad Yeah, things. let's hear So it. the thing with the AT-ATs, they're part of a grand tradition now of all-terrain, blah, 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 blah. So there's a bunch of all-terrain vehicles. The AT-ATs and the ATSTs are the first ones we see in Empire Strikes Back. But in earlier games, we see the AT, or games, in earlier movies like Clone Wars, we see the AT, um, the ATTEs, all-terrain tactical enforcers, the six-legged ones on Geonosis. Mm-hmm. We see smaller scout walkers, which mm-hmm. are the ATRTs, all-terrain mm-hmm. recon transport. So we have seen them all moving up. But in chronological order, the ATAT first shows up on Scarif. Because yes. in Rogue One, we see a variant of the ATAT known as the all-terrain cargo transport, which is just an ATAT with the insides basically yeah. gored out. They're larger, so they aren't they? Slightly. Okay. I mean, it's all model making, so mm-hmm. it can be whatever it is. But they are informed that that is the same chassis, the same drive system that you have for the ATATs. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So that's the first place we kind of see them in chronological order, and they are definitely a civil war machine. They were built for the galactic civil war and the imperial occupation of worlds, and we're giving kind of the impression that these are the most powerful and useful of the walkers that the empire has control of. Yes. They're the heavy duty, you know, critters for when wheels and and repulsor craft won't do. Yes. The interesting thing to me about these is behind the scenes. And I wouldn't know this until I was much older, but 
This is George Lucas paying homage to the giant robot series of Japanese animation, what is referred to as Mecha. So in Mecha, you had humanoid robots, you know, that are, you know, fighting for, you know, usually young boy characters like Gigantor is a pretty famous one that came to the United States or more real robot shows like um, Gundam, where there's actually a person inside the robot, usually in Mm -hmm. its belly that controls this weapon of war. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of amazing that for a lot of people, myself included, my backdoor into learning about these idea of fantastic military machines was George Lewis going like, well, what I want is I want a giant robot someone controls, but uh, <laughs> a, a dude just looks weird. So make it like an elephant. Make that one like a chicken. <laughs> like the fact that they just took these idea of like a tank with legs and really you can see it went through the Western view of they feel like tanks. The top speed of an AT-AT is 60 kilometers, which is like 37 miles per hour. They are not swift, <laughs> but they are huge. So that distance they cross is Mm -hmm. pretty fast as far as like for a weapon that is carrying, you know, tons and tons, like two giant heavy repeating laser cannons on its under chin and two swivel guns on the side of its head, plus the troop complement that it can hold, which it can hold like 12 to 16 troopers inside of it, fully armored. Yeah. And those sides can open up so the doors can open up and they can fire from there because we saw kind of like that's what a cargo transport mm-hmm. is, is just the doors ripped off <laughs> like a minivan with yeah. the, no doors. <laughs> like it is this impressive weapon of war. Mm-hmm. And the be- next time we see it after Hoth, we see that it is still used as this very important protection and transport system because they appear in Return of the Jedi. They do, yeah, on Endor there, right? That's Luke where Luke is, and uh, Vader meet, yeah. Yeah, Luke is brought on board, and that's where we first see the closest we get of an interior of the AT-AT mm-hmm. is out of focus in the background. You can tell that the platform they're at has a you know, gangway that goes to the open door of the yes. AT-AT where Luke has been brought out of. Yes, okay. Okay, sounds good. Uh, who makes them? Did you say who makes them? Is it a Kuwait Drive Yards? Um, it's Kuwait Drive Yards from Kuwait, what I remember. Is it Kuwait? Kuwait? You would uh, know. I think it's, uh, from what I know, it's... K-U-A-T. Uh, it's Kuwait. Okay. Like Kuat. Kuat. Kuwait. Or just... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not, okay, now you're making me think about it. I don't know how I say it. Kuat Drive Systems. Kuat. I say say Kuat. Kuat. Which is the same uh, sure defense wrong, contractor fine. that yeah. makes most of the brutalist parts of the uh, Imperial Navy because they make the Star Destroyers. Um, they make a handful of like the um, the troop transports that we see in uh, Special Edition of New Hope. They're okay. they're 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 a they're part of the military industrial complex of the Empire. They're okay. in deep. So I'd like to ask you two questions about the AT-ATs, if you don't mind. Sure. Number one, what is this elite AT-AT that I've read about from Star Wars Commander? So Star Wars Command, you're talking about with Commander or Force Commander? So Star Wars Commander, so the elite AT-AT is apparently a dark grayish black mm-hmm. AT-AT that has stronger armor and... Well, it's black, so it's cooler, I guess. Well, it's part of the Elite series. Hasbro has it. If you get a first edition one, it comes in a white box. <laughs> if you, 
no, the thing about it is, so one of the things that's happened with Star Wars is Star Wars is a very much a snake eating its own tail in a lot of ways. When (laughs) fans get control of things, they're much more timid about expanding out, right? So when we were playing around with the EU for most of that time, or Mm -hmm. Legends, there are a gazillion AT-AT variants. I can think of like there was Force Commander, which was a 3D um, tactical game. Mm-hmm. And they had like, I think at least three variants of the ATAT that were armed with different weapons, or they were more a troop transport, or they were more of a walking gun. Like we eventually saw that kind of thing come mm-hmm. to fruition in The Last Jedi, where the First Order has the ATM sixes, which are all terrain mega cannon sixes. Mm-hmm. And they're basically these giant gorilla walkers whose entire back is dominated by a super heavy weapon, yeah. a mega cannon. Um, and <laughs> mega cannon, all one word. Uh, yeah, all one word, because, <laughs> yeah, it's not an ATM C6, but it's an ATM 6. But yeah. the point about it is the EU would build these variants. I mean, you can mm-hmm. see it if you've played more modern games, like how many ATST variants were there in The Force Unleashed? Because we needed game variety. We weren't going to make a new walker because we're too afraid to do that. Fans might get turned off by that. So uh, this is a Kashyyyk ATST and ATKT because it works on a forest. I don't know. Like okay. you can kind of feel that like people would just make these variants rather than that. I mean, I love troops and the amount of X troopers, C troopers, space troopers, mm-hmm. dark hole troopers, black hole tro- troopers, dark troopers, elite storm troop, like all of that stuff was going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So what you're speaking to is like, again, these variants. And so if you're going to write variants, there's always going to be the usual two ways. Well, this is the lighter ATAT that's built for speed, which kind of became the ATCTs. Or this is the super duper heavy prototype that they can't manufacture enough of them because it's too powerful, which is more your elite. It's got even heavier armor, so it's slower. <laughs> no, it's it's not. It's somehow still the same speed because physics. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Or it's painted black and being murdered out instantly makes it more vile and powerful well yeah that's how that's how space works so again ATATs have been remixed a lot in star wars especially (laughs) between the new the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy okay so the other thing i want to ask you about is now this is not something i had prepared this is from my memory so we'll see how much i mess it up there are two times in canon that i can think of Mm -hmm. that darth vader lifts a downed ATAT. I believe it happens in Rebels somewhere. Okay. Yes. Right? I think so. Where Kanan and Ezra maybe it's is it when Kanan I think it's when they're on that No, it's not when Kanan dies. No, but there's a part where he moves one aside. He's like pushing it around. Well okay. there's that whole ATAT or they're not I think they are AT-ATs, but they're more prototypey with like Rex and all of them. We're on that planet where they're all in like a desert. Dust oh storm. yeah, that's not it. That's that's not okay. It. That, this is that's like, where I remember AT-AT. I feel like this there. is earlier on in the show, and I should have looked it up. This is my fault. It's okay, but it's also in the first half dozen issues of the Marvel comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke, I believe, if I remember correctly, goes flying by on a speeder bike and takes out the ankles of the ATATs with his lightsaber and it crumples on Vader and then as he kind of uh, spins it around and comes to a halt Vader's you know it, lifting it up with the force 
like I said, loose thank, memories thank of all I was of this. Say, thank you so much for reminding me why the Marvel comics annoy me. Luke walks you, you by. Like what? The first comic's what? Like a month or two after It New is Hope? after, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so he goes and cuts an AT-AT on a speeder bike with a lightsaber. So why on Hoth is he doing any other tactic? Why does he fly up and throw a thermal detonator in one if he knows his lightsaber can just cut through their legs? Is it because the comic books were written a lot longer after the movies and they kind of forgot where they have to be in canon? It's a little weird. I should go back and reread them because, like I said, it's been a couple years since I've read those. They're fun, but they're they feel like the old Marvel comics, something that as soon as George Lucas had to say, say in something new. Yeah, those are gone. Whatever investment you had in those, those were written by people who weren't writing Star Wars. I have not caught up. Uh, I'm waiting for, I mean, the Star Wars run is ending and they're about to start up a new run from Empire to Jedi again. So I have only read about the first year, year and a half. Uh, yeah, again, and I will. I own that. The comics so. are fun. If you like the yeah. comics, I think they're a blast. I, I just think the thing about it is you can just tell that they're written kind of loose and fast for interesting stories. Because that first issue, he does like three things that are make like Return of the Jedi seem less precious because he's on a speeder bike long before we 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 saw Return of the Jedi and thought it was the first time he was on a speeder bike. Yeah. They fight AT-ATs, which we thought would be Hoth, but apparently they fought them before then. He cuts them down with his lightsaber and it gets in a battle like basically he gets in a small spat with Darth Vader where we thought the first time he really faces off with Darth Vader in any meaningful way is Empire. It is obviously written by people years separated from the stories who are not thinking all the way through the fact that these are prequels and they have to happen before Empire and Return of the Jedi. And it's because they want to sell comic books and they're reminding you of everything in the OT not just New Hope, which is the only frame they should be working out of. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, after Scarif, no one, Luke, Han, and Leia, have never seen an AT-AT till they show up on Hoth, in my opinion. But that's not the way it is, and that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a tough one, um, because we're talking about something that is, well, yeah, okay, that's not. It's all. That's <clears> not <throat> the point. <laughs> the future is always in motion, yeah. so it's fine, but. As far as I don't have I don't have enough information to have an opinion until I've read all of the Star Wars Marvel comics, which I am working on. Yeah. And once I got through, like, I don't know, their first like three stories or so, I just realized that it's not bad, but it's not for me. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, that's why we have so many different types of Star Wars material. Yeah. OK, so the AT-ATs are pretty darn awesome. Yep. Now, here's the thing for me. They are why I love Star Wars. Okay. They are the first thing that I saw. So, you know, watching Empire, I I believe, you know, like, I wish I could clarify these details, but unfortunately, it wasn't this huge life altering event for my parents like it was for me. So, they don't remember. They didn't archive all of this. You were keeping a journal before you were 10, like, (sighs) detailed with timestamps? Clearly, I should have been, right? But anyway, we, (laughs) you know, I had seen, I'm seeing Empire, I'm watching Empire for the first time. And while I'm enjoying what I've seen, you know, the Wampa scared me, the Tauntauns are interesting, the speeder that Wedge is flying around in is cool. None of it, none of it is those walkers and just that sound they make hitting the snow. Yeah, that's from all that, that moment. And- from the the sound effects of them shooting their cannons, from the speeders swooping around them. When that Walker shoots the speeder out of the sky, sky right in front of it. 
that is a moment that still to this day fills me with complete and utter joy because it just, I mean, this is what Star Wars is best at, but it reminds me of why I loved those movies and fell in love with that movie at such a young age. It was just because this is fun. This is so neat and interesting and cool. And all of these things that we're seeing happen in this battle, it doesn't matter that the good guys are losing. It doesn't matter that, you know, Luke lost his co-pilot and crashed and wasn't a success here in this mission because we're seeing something so neat and Mm -hmm. new and interesting. And yes, I'm watching this movie in like 96, so it's not 1980, but it is new to me. It's something I had never seen before. And that is just groundbreaking. I mean, the closest thing I had seen at this point were like the robots on Barney. Like those were the other, that was like the biggest robot I had seen until that point. And now you have these giant, uh, I don't know, what would you describe them? Camel-like robots? Elephant. Just kind of lump. I mean, yeah, elephant really is right in front of me They don't have the nose, but they they definitely got the bulk. Yeah, it's just, these are such an incredible creation. And that's what it I comes think, down to. And, and they have was, so much. They have an intimidating factor. Mm-hmm. They have a cool design, but yet still relatively simplistic. They're powerful. They're intimidating. They're relatively practical. Yeah. But they're also, you know, they have weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. We see them get taken down. It's a celebration when one of them goes down because it seems like such an insurmountable thing. They just... Everything about the scene they're in, the way they're designed, the way our heroes interact with them, it's something that really shines a light on how cool that creation is. Yeah. And right? I, Rather than just being a background piece. And the funny thing to me is, like, the things I feel about the impression is, like, like I said, I've been always amazed because I like a watch of this mecha anime, and it's, like, weird to think that the, that like, the star of mecha anime is Gundam. It's the longest running mm-hmm. franchise. It's basically Japanese Star Trek. Like yeah. there are people that are adult men who are running around in costumes from that. Like people run around conventions as Klingons. Like <laughs> it's super important to their culture. And that was like three years old when they invented right. the ATATs. And that was what they were, you know, drawing from. And it's so cool to see that through a Western lens. And what do we do? We make them these lumbering beasts, this slow, inevitable death. You can mm-hmm. <laughs> you can shoot them as much as you want. You'll never penetrate that armor. You can run as far as you want. I'm not going to get there fast, but I'm just going to keep coming till I crush yeah. you. And nothing to me amplifies the idea of like, hey, guys, if in case you entered the theater late and didn't see the title card, this is the Empire Strikes Back. If you think your friends are going to get off scot-free from blowing up the Death Star, you are wrong. This is the Imperial <laughs> Might coming like mm-hmm. an endless wave at you. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, the cavalier nature of Veers, like we just joked about, of like being like, you may start your landing because like... These rebels have nothing on us technologically. We are such an impressive, powerful force that I didn't even bring an entire battalion of these things. I have three of them. We're good. We're going to wipe out the main base of this resistance right here, right now, with minimal troop commitment. Like, it's Mm fan-freaking-tastic. It is. It it is. There's, and the only I thing I feel bad about is... I wish I had yours, because, like, I was... my my. uh, 
reiterating my Star Wars love. So I started, we had the tape of, of um, Return of the Jedi. Right. I had seen Scout Walkers my entire life. I knew what an AT-AT is before I ever saw one on screen. Yeah. Like I had a micro machine, I think I already have an AT-AT. And I had a source book with an AT-AT in it before I saw Empire. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of weird, but like, I, I'm with you in the scene of like, for me, the tech nerd, just to have like this lumbering creature and kind of getting a feel of how it yeah. all mechanically works and seeing Veers look out that beautiful, big panoramic window that is at the front <laughs> of the ship as these two armored guys who they're like TIE fighter pilots, but they're in white because this is their job. They are the walker pilots. Mm-hmm. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. Are playing with this giant massive get a special console. license. You, you do. Yeah. And, and I mean, they're military. So that's like a, probably like a CD license. That's a commercial. <laughs> you can get a job after the aftermarket with that. Yeah, they'll just, be highly desired. But just seeing that might on screen was yeah. awesome. It was. It was. I, I, there's not a lot more to say because they're th- just so cool. But I just want to say thank you, ATAT, for making me a Star Wars fan. And thanks I to really the model. That's the. And thank you for the model for makers and sound design that made something that was only about like two and a half feet tall <laughs> feel and believably be this 70 foot tall yeah. behemoth. How can you take something so small and make it feel gargantuan like that? Yeah. It's so impressive. Yeah. Especially in 1980. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Well, we have another thing we're going to talk about. So let's go ahead and do it. I am Queen Amidala. Hmm? This is my decoy, my protection, my loyal bodyguard. I'm sorry for my deception, but it was necessary to protect myself. Although we do not always agree, Your Honor, our two great societies have always lived in peace. The Trade Federation has destroyed all that we have worked so hard to build. If we do not act quickly, all will be lost forever. I ask you to help us. No, I beg you to help us. We are your humble servants. <laughs> you shall not think and you are greater than the Gungans. <laughs> Me shall like this. Maybe we shall being friends. All right, our next entry in the Atlas Galactica, (laughs) as we talk about the planets of Star Wars, is going to be that lovely little planet a little bit off the trade route known as Naboo. We haven't done a planet yet. This is our first planet. Our first entry in the Atlas Galactica. I think we had Naboo set for like episode two or three. Like we were planning early on just because it's such an interesting planet to both of us. It's the fulcrum that starts the whole saga. Yeah. We we got sidetracked. Who knows? But we're back now. Well, we will eventually get to my favorite character in all of Star Wars, who I'm not going to ruin it. I probably have already said it, but is (laughs) uh, a planet. So we'll get back to that someday, too. Okay, so for now, let's talk about Naboo. Now, I want to point out that a lot of the information mm-hmm. we have about Naboo comes from two places. And when I say information, I mean the canon verified technical stuff. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I got you saying. So this comes from a mix of two places, really. This comes from Ultimate Star Wars, which, if you're not familiar, is just the reference guide that 
generally gets updated every year, you know, since 2015 was the year yeah. I think they brought it back. Uh, if you remember, it had kind of a Stormtrooper cover. They updated it next year, I think, with a Vader cover. And we've gotten a couple. We got a Kylo Ren one. So, you know, every year they sort of update this ultimate it's, guide. Yeah, it's, it's basically it's a reference novel for nerds. It, it's a chance for people involved in Star Wars to write new things in a Star Wars that will never be uttered in a movie. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. That's basically what it comes down to. But things that are at least currently considered canon. So Naboo is part of the mid rim, part of the Chomel sector, Comel sector. I would say Chomwell. Chomel. 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 C H O M M E L L. Again, that's coming from a yeah. book. It was never meant to be pronounced. <laughs> it has it has three moons. Ama Duun, <laughs> Una Un, and Varuna. Yeah, you can okay. tell which ones were named by Gungans and which ones were named by Nanabu. <laughs> um, it has a rotation period of 26 hours Ooh. and a year of 312 days. And it is uh, right off of the Enric Run and the old Trade Federation route. Okay. So now that we've had that great history lesson on Naboo, let's talk about what we actually know about it uh, from Star Wars film and... I guess, Star Wars cartoon. So, weirdly enough, the most important fact about Naboo may not be self-evident, but it is, is the most important reason Naboo is. It is the home planet of Sheev Palpatine. You're right. That is the most important thing about it. Mm -hmm. Wait, have you you've forgotten about Bosnass? Well, but what I'm trying to say is Sheev Palpatine being a being born there and living there yes and getting his senatorial his world be and becoming his the senator of there and as Sidious engineering the blockade of his home planet to get yes. political leverage is everything that sets up the emperor and in extra this is more legend stuff but like it's considered afterwards that that is the home of the imperial retreat when the emperor needs a vacation he goes home it's like Camp David, but in uh, space. That needs to be brought into canon. Well, I remember specifically when Naboo was an unlockable planet on uh, Star Wars Galaxy, you could mm. go to the Imperial Retreat. It was a landmark you could go to and see this Imperial Palace in miniature. It's kind of crammed through the style yeah. of Naboo's villas on Interesting. there. Okay. So like I said, it's weird to think about it, but in galactic politics, the fact that Sheev was born there is the most important reason that's a part of the galactic civil, the, the galactic history. Okay, okay. That's a that's a really good point and one that I don't think a lot of people would think about first, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so one of the things I thought, where I thought you were going with that was another random fact. Uh -huh. uh, so <laughs> Naboo has an extremely rare makeup. Uh, you know, mm. the way it's bit built uh the way it's been I it's don't know. Com composition it, yeah how would you say it and are you talking Star about the Wars fact that it it doesn't have it? a molten core well yes that, that's what i'm trying to say but anyway okay so, so <laughs> Never the composition the yeah composition, the composition unlike the our world where you've got a a, yeah. a crust that of rock and stuff <laughs> that leads down to a molten nickel core yeah this thing is water all the way through. Yeah. So uh, corridors and, um, you know, empty spaces that have been filled in with water uh, due to mining by the Gungans underwater yep. and uh, other things that come with that. Now, it is also rich with plasma. Hmm. Now, a, a particular uh, 
shall we say, thing that is able to build up in the planet core. And that makes it sort of a a unique thing in the universe. And I think that's what we see channeled underneath Theed Palace. That's where like the fight begins with Darth Maul and stuff is that power room is is yeah. working that plasma because it's what powers the planet. Okay. So when it comes to Naboo, I think we really need to talk about two, the two species. I mean, I think that's the yeah. the biggest thing that we know about it as far as what makes Naboo Naboo. And I, and I think we need to clarify, so this is the first planet we're doing. We're going to kind of figure it out as we go. But I think essentially we want to talk about the facts we know about it, of course. But it's composition, like you were saying. It's people. It's cultures it's animals you know those types of things yeah and the biggest thing about it is this is home to two sapient species okay so we have the human population who are known as the The naboo and we have the gungans who live primarily now underwater yes because the naboo are get the name because they join galactic politics the gungans live away from the naboo in underwater cities yes they had warred for generations they had fought for generations mm-hmm. uh you know the original settlers of naboo the humans who came there uh and then you have the gungans and eventually they live in harmony but separate right they're yeah. segregated they're not together in any way their cultures don't interact their politics don't interact their trade doesn't interact they're separate right they live in a symbiotic relationship as Gwygon would say but one that's being stunted because they acknowledge their existence, but they don't really interact until the events of episode one draws them in a conflict where they are fighting together yes. against the bigger force. So the Gungans are a strong people. They have a, a grand army, as Jar Jar says, right? So, we, and we see them. They're effective. I mean, you know, it's they not are. that they're a bunch of Jar Jars running around causing mistakes, right? They are they are effective. And they have fashioned weapons like the Sestin stuff that is built with whatever plasma they can yes, contain, these yes, pearls yes. of energy. Absolutely. So we have the Gungans, and they're this, um, I mean, it's not a monarchy, but it. It's a single ruler. Well, based on right. the name, you might imply that they are a unionized. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to be honest, Boss Nass is one of the bosses, and they seem like a very hardy working people. They seem like a very blue collar civilization. So maybe that is how they are, is that they're they're formed more like a trade union or something. Mm-hmm. And it's people with seniority and people who you know, democratically get elected to represent everybody does. And they just sort of just work under the boss. They just do what tradition their laws do. And it just seems like they, like the Naboo, live pretty peacefully Mm -hmm. in the sense of their culture works for them. Yeah. This whole time, I, I thought it was just whoever could shake their face the best. Well, I don't know how that democracy works. Maybe that's a prerequisite for for bossness. I assume that's why he's doing it. He's just letting <laughs> people know he's in charge. I think it's that's like mostly just showing the something. fact of like their language doesn't fit nicely into basic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So we have the Gungans. Anything mm-hmm. else to add on them? Um, well, just the fact that they live in um, these beautiful underwater cities, even mm-hmm. though they're amphibians. So they are underwater, but all of their habitats are these moon pools of air underneath. Yes. Still one of the most visually impressive things in the prequel trilogy. I love the way they described it in the script, which is it's a beautiful chandelier underwater. Yeah. And then we have the Naboo. Mm -hmm. Now the Naboo are interesting 
mm-hmm. you know, the characters we meet, Ricola, C.O. Bibble, yeah. Padme. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Typho, <laughs> interesting characters. But I really found these characters that much more interesting after I read the book Queen Shadow. Oh, that's got a lot of good meat on the bone. Yeah, about have about you Naboo. gotten through all of that, Matt? Not yet? all of it. Okay. So if you don't know, Queen Shadow is... A uh, young adult Star Wars book, uh, some of the best ones are, so don't let that fool you, okay? Um, That basically takes place between episode one and two, Mm -hmm. and it's Padme finishing her reign as queen. Yep. You know, because even though it's a monarchy, the title is a monarchy title, but it is an elected position. Yes. And so she's deciding, I mean, she's young, she's deciding what is she going to do with the rest of her life. And one of the things that comes up in this book is that. The culture of the planet is to essentially combine art and practicality, mm-hmm. right? They all focus. Every every citizen has a passion, has a focus that they're that they're really going for. So, um, and, and I'm not going to remember their names now because I didn't look them up. But the handmaidens, you know, there's a chapter where they're each discussing what are they going to do after they all essentially retire. Right. Some of them will go on to serve the next queen or serve in the government on planet versus, you know, the galactic government. Right. Some of them will go on uh, to, you know, study uh, art, but through art improve the farming of plants on Naboo. You know, they're, yeah. through these artistic takes they're that all... they have, they're enriching their lives in ways where they can essentially see things that other people can't, solutions to problems, because they're, Focus. well, frankly, more diverse. Well, and they're, yeah, they're all tradesmen. They're all artisans. They are. Or artisans is the right way, I think, for sure. Well, I think that's why their cultures mesh when the Gungans come up, because I think the Gungans have a very stratified, like, culture like that, yeah. where... You can tell, you know, Augie's Municipal Band is a municipal <laughs> band. They are a government-sponsored band yeah. just by their name, which means that Naboo is going to get and understand that because they also understand the arts and practicality are the same thing. That, mm-hmm. you know, we could build an N1 as very, very practical, but then it wouldn't have value and the people working on it wouldn't care about it as much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's a very interesting culture. And they also have a very libertine view on politics because they elect 14 <laughs> year old girls to rule them. The, the best of them. Right? And I think it's good because it shows how much they care about new ideas that they mm-hmm. really want to keep their polit their their I guess their principal guiding light in mm-hmm. their politics as a child, as a youth, yeah. as someone who's not been corrupted by the old ways of thinking, even though those are the people that run the day to day stuff, the the kind of dictations and the will of the people is represented by their children, by yes. the generation that will inherit the world that these people are maintaining for them. Yes. What an interesting concept and it's really wild. kind of in a way ahead of its time a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of things in Star Wars that are that way, right? And the entire culture of the Naboo is interesting because they're based on, you know, basically Mediterranean banks of like, you know, Venice and Italy. So you have all these beautiful villas and these. In in the city of Thede, right? But then yeah. we also have these rolling plains and these marshes and, of course, all of the underwater stuff. But Naboo you also have the lake so country diverse. and stuff, too, where they get yeah. married. And it's mm-hmm. it's just it's. Showing the idealicism, uh, the idyllic way that we think of, like, romancing Europe. Yes. 
like romancing, you know, especially, especially the Rivieras and, you know, and, uh, the Mediterranean Sea and, uh, the parts of Italy that are in tune with the rivers and oceans around them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's serene. Mm -hmm. It's peaceful. It is, uh, how could you not want to be there? Right. Right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. How could you not want to be there and live there? Naboo, the, the Naboo are not afraid to use color. Nope. All right. They have these beautiful chrome spaceships and these yellow starfighters and these green speeders and, and these bright red leather uniforms. And, <laughs> yeah. I um, mean, and the, the queen, you know, ornamental and uh, professional, but also understanding when she needs to be practical and get hands on. You know, mm-hmm. that just such a a wiseness yeah. of, I mean, it starts with Padme, but works its way down throughout the planet. You know, they don't really let the Trade Federation boss them around. You know, they they take action. They 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 make something happen from. But nothing. there's also a defiant love of their own culture. Like when they're taking to the, the internment camps that they imply, mm-hmm. you can feel that like. They're not just in a rebellion of just kicking and screaming, going like, I'm not going to go. They're orderly going to these camps and like, you realize we are going to overcome you, that democracy will win out. Yes. Like they have a faith in the higher reasoning of humanity that this will all work itself out. The, The Senate will save us. There's not really a question of that. And they only turn to fighting when they say, well, I guess the Senate won't. We will have to take matters into our hands and we're going to orderly take back our planet. And that's it. Take Black Our Planet. You can't imagine a Naboo being bloodthirsty. You can't really imagine a Gungan being a conqueror, even with their standing army. They're just, they're not people that want that. They're very happy with their culture and they feel no need to try and escape it. Well, when they, when they take back the throne room, even then, I mean, Padme could have easily killed all of them, but they won't. And, and that's because that's not justice. Yeah. And, we see some other things. I mean, one thing about Theed that's weird is Theed and its surrounding culture, like the lake country and the plains that we see Anakin and her go to, makes it feel like so all of Naboo's probably what, like the size of Rhode Island? Like it doesn't feel large. Naboo feels really tiny. Mm-hmm. And especially like, hey, we, we met the Gungans and so we're gonna go take this this submarine in what feels like 20 minutes through the planet core into the other side. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a day long or week long journey. It feels like the planet must be maybe the size of our moon or smaller. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's kind of nice. Cause again, it sets up how when that blockade happens, the reason no one in the public cares is like Naboo. Um, they're in the mid rim, right? <laughs> like <laughs> you don't feel they have some great export. No, that's no, going to take care of the, things. the export is what they create. The right. export is what they invent. Like you said, they're artisans and their export is their knowledge and their skill and their creation. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, it's not politics. Well, and it's they don't not, have a lot of busy, yeah. bulky industry that they have to export yes, to survive. Yes, yes. And you can kind of feel that the trade federation probably got them you know, stuff that they needed. And when the trade federation sealed around them, they're just like, well, this stinks. Like, yeah, not like, Oh, this is an existential crisis to our economy. Just more of a eh, crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
you see that in also the life forms seem fairly idyllic. You don't see a lot of predators running around on, on Naboo. It seems like most of their, their ecosystem is just got a gentleness to it. All the predators are underwater. Right. Right. The Gungans Good showed point. Good the, point. the hard, rough life where the Naboo, uh, the human population, shows the the peaceful life on the surface. Right. And now that you may think about it, yeah, the always the bigger fishes down with the goober fishes down there in the center is definitely <laughs> why they probably have a standing armor, uh, you know, army down in Gungan civilization. Yeah, they're ready. Oh, and let's also say, as far as we know, the Naboo live in feed in the surrounding countryside. Otagunga is where all the Gungans live. As far as we know, those are the only two cities on the planet. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen anything else, have we? Again, including that smallness and it's kind of amazing when you think about it with this small little planet of rel of peaceful people living in an idyllic republic mm -hmm. uh coexisting with their neighbors peacefully even if apart that the most evil sob in the universe <laughs> somehow came out of this culture you know, if the artisans are working on you know trying to understand a craft inside and out to understand its value Chiefs Palpatine's whole thing was like, I'm going to study politics. The dark, underhanded one. I will make that my entire goal in life to be the most <laughs> underhanded, ruthless, cutthroat, corrupt politician that could exist. The people from Naboo are driven. Very much so. They've got to drive for results. They go for success. 10 out of 10. And you can just feel, I don't remember exactly how it works in current canon or if they've addressed it in current canon, but you can kind of feel that Chief Palpatine, there is no way he should have became what he was by his culture. It is just that meeting with Plagueis that is the only reason. And again, maybe yeah. his dedicated dedication does come from his people, but he dedicated himself to the bad stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did. And it's the one dark spot on Naboo's history. Yeah. And it's and it's and and afterwards you just see how depressing you can see like the state funeral for Amidala is very mm -hmm. refined and very gentle and very yeah. nice. And in the only thing I think that is still canon is that the following queen tries to like get away from imperial rule. Like Naboo is nicely isolated from the Empire because mm -hmm. the Emperor that's his home. So he kind of lets it just be. It doesn't yeah. have a bunch of AT-ATs standing around or garrisons of stormtroopers mm -hmm. running around. And the politics eventually take, you know, advantage of that because the Naboo have been isolated from the horrors of the galaxy until they realize how bad the Empire is everywhere else. Yeah. it It's it's in uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, I think. Another mm -hmm. young reader book. Uh, that's a Claudia Gray one, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Uh, so you have... Uh, in this book, Leia actually goes to Naboo yep. for the first time. And uh, if I remember correctly, Panaka is now the governor yes. of Naboo serving the Empire. Yes. Right? And uh, there, there's a lot of cool stuff The quote-unquote moth. Yeah, so we won't. Well, I think he likes the term governor. But again, in politics, yeah. he probably would be able to be addressed by a moth. Mm, okay. It, it's, it's interesting to see characters we know from other parts of Star Wars go to this planet. Because they all describe it in the sort of same idyllic, beautiful way. Yeah. Right? And it's it's really a cool place. Playing that in Battlefront 2, too. Yeah. You know, the the current Battlefront 2. 
uh, that is just one of the most awesome places just to walk around and see. I love just being a battle droid clanking around those hallways. Uh, it, it's just so awesome. It, it's just so cool. Well, I, it I is like maybe my favorite Star Wars planet. Then in every way that they've talked about Naboo after episode um, three, yeah. no matter if it's legends or canon or whatever, the one thing is that idealism, that idyllic world doesn't go away. And it's kind of wonderful that it ends up feeling like a mausoleum for the old Republic and the ideals of the old Republic because everywhere else is getting crushed under the heel Mm -hmm. of the empire. And because Naboo is Palpatine's home planet, he's sort of just left it alone. Mm -hmm. He left it as it was when he left, when he left Naboo, he left it like that. And when he comes (laughs) back, it should look like that. And so that's why I think Panaka, if he's not a moth, it's probably because he's just not a, he's not a military governor because the governor is, just the person who runs the government. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's not here to inflict Compnor, the, you know, the <laughs> the presence of the new order. Yeah. So it's a beautiful planet. It's a wonderful planet. And I would love Star Wars to go back there and give it some more story yeah. after the prequels. I'd love to know what Naboo is like 30 years after the Battle of Endor. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Maybe someday. Let's make it happen. But until we talk about another piece of the Atlas, I think we'll leave (laughs) our comments on Naboo here. Well, another episode of Star Wars All In in comes to an end. It's in the can. All in the can. It's done. And I will tell you that if you're listening to this on launch day, we are finishing our record 20 minutes before this episode is supposed to drop. I say eagle-eyed folks will notice that we were close to missing the date because yeah this will not launch at one after midnight eastern standard or eastern daylight time like yeah. we normally do this will release wednesday morning or whenever i get done editing it <laughs> <laughs> but so it's still wednesday soon. it still counts it will be out on wednesday there's no doubt about it so uh it is very late here we talked about some really awesome topics i mean here's the thing adats atats they're awesome. Indeed. Right. They made me fall in love with Star Wars and they're great. Naboo is a beautiful planet. They have That's the rad. N1 Starfighter, which is so rad. And Exiles, talking about Yoda and Luke, man, I, I was getting like misty eye. We got like deep. We're getting to the meat and potatoes <laughs> of the. The spiritual and the mythological roots of Star Wars. That well, was good. You're right. You're right. And here's the thing. For me, Luke was a character I liked, but he didn't become a character I loved until The Last Jedi. He became mm. so much more interesting when he went through well what he did. You know, he 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 worked so hard to become a Jedi. Mm-hmm. We saw him cast aside his childish ways and move into this sort of overconfident young man who thinks he can do no wrong, who thinks he can go in and redeem his father and save the galaxy to someone who becomes frankly more realistic, but honestly just broken and hurt. And we see him heal. We see him get better and stronger and eventually do something incredibly heroic, which is what I think every Star Wars fan wanted. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you may have said, oh, well, you know, it wasn't heroic enough because he wasn't a hero from the beginning. But no, it's the opposite. 
When you have someone who is so set in their own ways that they believe what they're doing is right, when you're able to have them come back and and realize that, no, 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 you can be a hero just because you failed Ben Solo does not mean you can fail Ray. You have to go out and be the hero she needs to be. You need to inspire. And mm-hmm. just because you have lost faith in yourself does not mean everyone around you has lost faith in you. And we learn that from Yoda and from Luke. And by seeing what they've gone through to get to where they are now, when they sort of reach the end of their journey, right? They're better for it. They have become something more than what they were before. Dang. That's deep. I really like The Last Jedi a lot. I notice. I notice. Um, Okay. So it's late. We've got to start planning next week's episode because we, we got to get ahead of this. <laughs> we do. We were doing so good. Remember when we launched and we had five episodes ready to go? We did. Okay. So now that we're getting to Christmas and we're going to get a lot busier with Star Wars stuff, we we'll need to, step it up. We, we need to get we need to get ahead of ourselves. We yeah. need to be recording. I tell you what. You know what? Let's just stay up. We'll record next episode right now. I mean, I'm off tomorrow. Don't challenge uh, me. I haven't done any research for it yet. I still have like 300 pages of that book I'm reading for that one episode, but we'll get there. Well, my friends, <laughs> I hope you'll tune in with us next Wednesday when yeah. we have another episode of Star Wars yeah. All In in your podcasting stream of choice. And yeah. again, definitely start reaching out to us. We, we would love to start building that community, start hearing yeah. back from you. We've been seeing some responses in our um in our reviews on iTunes. So keep uh, feeding us with those. We appreciate those. Absolutely. Uh, Any feedback you'd have. And then of course, like we're looking to explore other ways um, to uh, again, reach out with you because I feel like our conversation with the XL is one of the more depth and and thought provoking ones we had. And I'd love to hear what you thought, what you think after that. So if nothing else, if you feel like you need to talk to us or you want to give us some information, we may not play it on the air, but definitely reach out to us through, if you go to anchor.com slash SWAI, which is Star Wars All In, if you go to anchor slash Sway, you can leave us a voicemail and that voicemail allows us to hear your voice and what yeah. you're thinking. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Um, as I've been, you know, I, I've talked to a few of you on Twitter and uh, we absolutely appreciate anyone who has followed us there. And uh, we had a poll the other day about force ghost stuff that'll come <laughs> out in a later episode here soon. Uh, and so thank you for everyone who participated in that everyone who has been listening. We had a, a really great week last week with our force Friday uh, special. Uh, we, we, you know, we really uh, were happy to see some interaction with that and some engagement and lots of you listening. So thank you very much for that. We would just love to, make your opinions and your thoughts as star Wars friends more of a part of this. So if there's anything you'd like to share or any topics you'd like to hear us dive into, please feel free to reach out to us. Star Wars all in on Twitter and Instagram. And we have our Facebook group too. So uh, please, you know, get in touch if there's anything you'd like to talk about with us. All right. Well, until we meet again, I'm Mac. I'm Ross. See you out there in the galaxy. Until then, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Burgess III, Ross Grieco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, movie clips, and sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2019.